All my hope is in Jesus. He truly is the solution to all of life's problems, simply because all of life's problems are a result of disobeying Jesus, and I mean all of them. Many may think that I'm painting with too broad a brush. Consider this. An official name of Jesus Christ is recorded in Revelation 19.13 as, and his name is called the Word of God. And that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. The final word in the Bible is, Amen. Noah Webster uses the following words in his definition of Amen. Confirm, establish, firm, stable, constancy, be it established. All the problems began in unbelief and continue to exist in unbelief. In the very beginning, Grandmother Eve committed an act of unbelief by believing Satan's words over God's. The resultant act of disobedience opened the doors to all of hell's bondages. Romans 14.23 defines sin, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. All of life's troubles are a result of unbelief and disobedience to God's word. Still think that's too broad a brush? Consider the global pandemic of COVID-19. God's Word is akin to an owner's manual. Everything you need to know to live life and live it more abundantly is recorded between its covers. Express instructions are given concerning diet and concerning the containment of contagious diseases known as quarantine. Leviticus 11:13 through 21 gives instruction concerning the consumption of flying creatures. Verse 13 begins by stating, And these are they which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. In Leviticus 11.19, the bat makes the list of abominations. The scriptures are very clear that these creatures are not to be eaten, nor should one touch their dead carcasses. Researchers have traced COVID-19 to the consumption and handling of bats. It has been alleged that the virus originated in the Chinese lab, and that may be so, but it would have been a result of handling the bats, which God lists as an abomination. All of life's problems are a result of disobeying God's word. Just as all the problems began in unbelief and continued to exist in unbelief, all of the solutions begin in faith and continue to exist in faith. Have you yet to be born again? Have you tired of your unbelief and its resulting sin? Have you tired of this world's fear and uncertainty? Have you tired of Satan's hurtful lust and bondages? In a moment, I will give you a simple prompt. Follow me in that prompt and all of the above will be forgotten history. Turn to Jesus Christ today and place all your hope in him. Surely he will not disappoint. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Here comes the prompt. Click on the further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said to Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, 
that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. God said Psalms 115, verse 16, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. God said, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Man said, Absolute truth doesn't exist, unless, of course, it's carnal academia's latest revelation. Truth is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. The Christians who insist their Bible is the source of absolute truth are absolute morons. Have I read the Bible? Yes. Well, maybe not. But what's the difference? I'm a man of understanding. The God of the Bible doesn't fit into my plans. Uh, what did you say, doctor? I have two weeks to live? Oh, God, save me, save me. That's how it works, you know. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1017 that will once again contend for the faith and certify the absolute supernatural inerrancy of God's beautiful book. All of these powerful features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Take advantage of five highly beneficial God Said, Man Said features. One, you have questions? God has answers. Whatever your question, type a keyword into the search bar top right and watch the screen populate with related information from Adam and Eve to quantum physics. Two, use the tell a friend feature above to send a message to someone you love. It's so quick and easy. Three, imagine you can download nearly 414 hours of God said, man said features to your electronic device. Listen to one every day. Four, Sign up for the God Said, Man Said weekly broadcast, and fresh bread will be delivered to you, God willing, every Thursday eve. And number five, follow God Said, Man Said on Facebook and Instagram and give your social media feed the fresh bread it needs. Thank you for visiting God Said, Man Said today. May God's glorious face shine upon you with light and truth. It has never happened. Clamor and challenge as God's skeptics do. They have never and will never controvert the Word of God found in the majority text Holy Bible. To the contrary, they will inadvertently confirm it time and time again. Nothing is more beautiful than God's Word. It is the rock of our salvation. God created the earth to be inhabited. Isaiah forty-five eighteen. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. On the fourth day God created the sun, the moon, and the stars to serve the needs of the earth. Before the fall of Adam and Eve, God had given man dominion over all the earth. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth. All the earth was to serve man. Psalms 115, verse 16, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. God made everything for man, a concept that today's science knows as the anthropic principle. One shouldn't be surprised that in its pursuit of truth, science always ends up here. Of course, scientists will slap a new name on the discovery and proudly present it to the world, usually oblivious to the fact that the new thing has been sitting in plain view in the Bible for thousands of years, common knowledge among the children of faith. Academic ignorance of the Word of God is just breathtaking. Descriptionary, a thematic dictionary, defines anthropocentrism as the belief that human beings are at the center of all meaning and creation, end of quote. The following excerpts regarding the anthropic principle are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Everything is ours as the children of God, everything. If the earth was created by God to be inhabited, if the earth was given to man and the heavens are the Lord's, if all things are for our sake, if all things are ours, then proof of such should be abundant, and it is. Science knows this phenomenon as the anthropic principle. In his book titled Creation, Dr. Grant Jeffrey has a chapter titled Anthropic Principle, the Evidence of God's Fine-Tuning. Several excerpts have been recorded for your perusal. A respected astrophysicist from Cambridge University, Dr. Brandon Carter, delivered a paper called The Large Number Coincidences and the Anthropic Principle in Cosmology. Dr. Carter coined the phrase anthropic principle, derived from the Greek word anthropos, which means man. Dr. Carter proposed an extraordinary theory that the only rational way to explain the fact that the universe existed as it does with an incredibly precise balance between all of the multitude of forces, including gravity, electromagnetism, and the strong nuclear force that made our universe possible, can only be explained if they were fine-tuned in such a precise manner to allow human life to exist on Earth. Professor Robert Jastrow, although he is an agnostic, admits that 
The universe was constructed within very narrow limits in such a way that man could dwell in it. This result is called the anthropic principle. It is the most theistic result ever to come out of science, in my view. The theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking acknowledged that the fact that the proton in the atom is precisely 1,836 times heavier then the electron is essential to the formation of molecules that are the building blocks of all life. The precise ratio between the proton and the electron is a fundamental number governing our universe. Hawking stated, The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. End of quote. The anthropic principle pervades all life and the universe itself, Dr. Jeffries continues. If our Earth was located much farther away from our sun, we would experience temperatures such as the minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit measured on the planet Mars, and we would freeze. If the Earth were much closer to the sun, then we would have temperatures like the extremely hot surface of Mercury or the 860-degree temperature on Venus— and we would burn up. The astrophysicist Sir Fred Hoyle admitted that when he considered how totally unlikely it was that the element carbon could have been formed by accident, his atheism was shaken to the core. He wrote, A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Significantly, the most respected physicist in the world, the late Stephen Hawking, summarized the implications of his remarkable discoveries about the universe's first moments. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think clearly there are religious implications whenever you start to discuss the origins of the universe. There must be religious overtones, but I think most scientists prefer to shy away from the religious side of it. Dr. Chandra Wickramsinki, one of the most eminent scientists in Britain, has stated that the anthropic principle strongly supports the theory of God's special creation as opposed to evolution. When he was asked if his scientific research proved that Charles Darwin's theory of evolution was fatally flawed, he agreed. When asked how he would evaluate the scientific arguments of the creationists, who suggested only God could have created the universe and life itself, Professor Wickram simply responded, you mean the arguments that are justifications of their position? I think they have a very good case by and large. The astronomer Professor Alan Sandage acknowledged the powerful evidence of design that scientists discovered in our universe. I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence why there is something instead of nothing. A NASA astronomer, astronomer excuse me, and scientist, Professor John O'Keefe, has acknowledged the other impossibility that the universe would ever have developed in a manner that would have allowed humanity to exist by random chance, Dr. O'Keefe wrote. 
We are, by astronomical standards, a pampered, cosseted, cherished group of creatures. If the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we would never have come into existence. It is my view that these circumstances indicate the universe was created for man to live in, end of quote. Several additional, uh, several additional quotes from the book Creation follow. Dr. Roger Penrose wrote in his book, The Emperor's New Mind, about his final conclusion regarding the precise accuracy of the nature of creation. This now tells us, tells us how precise the Creator's aim must have been, namely to an accuracy of one part in ten to the 123rd power. This is an extraordinary figure. One could not possibly even write the number down in full in the ordinary denary notation. It would be one followed by a ten, ten times 123 zeros. Biology professor John Maynard Smith wrote about the remarkably precise nature of the physical universe that supported galaxies, stars, planets, and human life. This is what he said. It turns out that the physical constants have just the values required to ensure that the universe contains stars with planets capable of supporting intelligent life. The simplest interpretation is that the universe was designed by a creator who intended that intelligent life should evolve. This interpretation lies outside science. Sir Fred Hoyle, while a committed evolutionist, was honest enough to admit that scientific discoveries pointed to the fact that our universe reflects intelligent purpose. A common-sense interpretation of the facts concerning the energy levels in 12 carbon and 16 oxygen suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The astronomer Dr. Paul Davies has written about the strong evidence that points to the fact that this universe looks like it was designed by a super-intelligent designer with a very specific purpose involving humanity. This is, for me, powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming, end of quote. The earth is special in the universe, and man, who is made in the image and likeness of God, is special amongst all of God's creatures. That's how God sees it. About 500 years ago, this special status was challenged by Nicholas Copernicus, who proposed that the sun was the center of the universe, and earth was just one rather mundane planet in the universe. Today, scientists have begun to question this long-held truth. Just recently, the new and improved Hubble telescope proved that the sun, like the Earth, moves through space in its own orbit. 3,000 years ago, this truth was declared by God in Psalms 19, 4 through 6. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit, circuit excuse me, unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Concerning the Copernican principle, the book 
evolutionists say the oddest things, reports on notable scientists speaking out. George Ellis, emeritus professor of applied mathematics at the University of Cape Town and fellow of the British Royal Society, had this to say. People need to be aware that there is a range of models that could explain the observations, Ellis argues. For instance, I can construct you a spherically symmetrical universe with the Earth at its center, and you cannot disprove it based on observation. Ellis has published a paper on this. You can only exclude it on philosophical grounds. In my view, there is absolutely nothing wrong in that. What I want to bring into the open is the fact that we are using philosophical criteria in choosing our models. A lot of cosmology tries to hide that fact. The late Stephen Hawking, director of research at the Center of Theoretical Cosmology within the University of Cambridge, and former Lucasian professor of mathematics, University of Cambridge, wrote, Now at first sight, all this evidence that the universe looks the same, whichever direction we look, might seem to suggest there is something special about our place in the universe. In particular, it might seem that if we observe all other galaxies to be moving away from us, then we must be at the center of the universe. There is, however, an alternative explanation. The universe might look the same in every direction as seen from any other galaxy, too. We have no scientific evidence for or against this assumption. We believe it only on grounds of modesty. It would be most remarkable if the universe looked the same in every direction around us, but not around other points in the universe. Timothy Clifton, junior research fellow at Jesus College, Oxford University, and Pedro G. Ferreira, professor of astrophysicist, Oxford University, wrote in an article for Scientific America, The existence of dark energy is still so puzzling that some cosmologists are revisiting the fundamental postulates that led them to deduce its existence in the first place. One of these is the product of that earlier revolution, the, Pernic uh, the Copernican principle, that the Earth is not in a central or otherwise special position in the universe. If we discard this basic principle, a surprisingly different picture of what could account for the observations emerges. Most of us are very familiar with the idea that our planet is nothing more than a tiny speck orbiting a typical star somewhere near the edge of an otherwise unnoteworthy galaxy. In the midst of a universe populated by billions of galaxies that stretch out to our cosmic horizon, we are led to believe that there is nothing special or unique about our location. But what is the evidence for this cosmic hum humility? And how would we be able to tell if we were in a special place? Astronomers typically gloss over these, assuming our own typicality sufficiently obvious to warrant no further discussion. To entertain the notion that we may in fact have a special location in the universe is, for many, unthinkable. John Rennie, the former editor-in-chief of Scientific American, in an article for that publication, writes, Astronomers now develop their theories, mindful that Earth most likely occupies an ordinary, unprivileged place in the cosmos. So 11 years ago, when astronomers suddenly realized that the universe was not merely expanding, but accelerating in its expansion, 
Most of them concluded that some otherwise undetectable anti-gravity force, a dark energy, was shoving apart galaxies. An alternative possibility, however, can explain the observation as a fluke of cosmological geometry. It avoids invoking dark energy as an ad hoc cause, but at the price of throwing out the Copernican principle. Roughly speaking, it puts Earth, or at least our galaxy, back at the center of the observable universe. End of quotes. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Is Earth the Center of the Universe? The Copernican Doctrine of Mediocrity, a foundational doctrine of evolutionary cosmology, continues to be under attack. The following passages are from the March 13, 2008 issue of Nature under the heading Patchy Solutions. The fundamental dynamics of the universe are embodied in Albert Einstein's general relativistic field equations, which describe how gravity arises through the distortion of space-time by mass and energy. The simplest class of solution to these equations that on which the concordance model is based assumes that matter is distributed both homogeneously, everything is similar in all regions of space, and isotropically, everything looks the same in all directions. That assumption is consistent with observations, but it is not a direct consequence of them. It is the favored solution both because it is the simplest and because it rests on a cherished cosmological assumption. This is the Copernican principle, that the characteristics of the universe in our neighborhood are not special in any way but are typical of the whole. A cherished assumption this might be, but it is also fundamentally untested. End of quote. Again from Nature. An alternative to locally inhomogeneous models that might provide an explanation of the acceleration observations is large-scale inhomogeneity, a breakdown of the Copernican assumption on the Hubble scale, the scale of the visible universe. The observed acceleration in data from NASA's WMAP satellite, which is probing anisotropies in the cosmic microwave background, the radiation left over from the Big Bang, can be explained by assuming that we are near the center of a Hubble-scale inhomogeneity or anomalously low density in a universe that is spherically symmetrical, end of quote. In regard to the Copernican principle of mediocrity, David Copage in the July 2008 issue of Acts and Facts weighed in with the following. It should be remembered that most leading cosmological models recklessly employ dark matter and dark energy, neither of which have been observed directly and neither of which is understood at all. The use of fudge factors takes all precision out of science. Recently, inflation theory has come under fire, and Space.com dropped the bombshell that the universe is twice as bright as it appears. What other sources of error are yet unknown? Finally, in one of the most astonishing cases of questioning a foundational assumption, an astronomer seriously considered tossing overboard the Copernican principle, the principle of mediocrity that has dominated astronomy for over a century. It is a cherished assumption, he said, but fundamentally untested. Writing for Nature last March, he said the advantage is that it gets rid of the need for dark energy, a conundrum that, 
for him is telling us there is something fundamentally wrong with our assumptions, end of quotes. The Bible says that God made the earth to be inhabited. On the fourth day, he made the sun, the moon, and the stars to serve the earth and serve all of his created life forms with man, the crowning achievement. Ultimately, everything was made to serve man, whom God gave dominion over all the earth. 2 Corinthians tells us all things are for our sakes. Science calls it the anthropic principle. The blood call it the word of God. God's word is true and righteous altogether, never changing, never apologizing, never wrong. Truly, it is the place to build a life that will last forever. God said to Corinthians chapter 4, 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. God said Psalms 115, verse 16, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. God said Isaiah 45, 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Man said, Absolute truth doesn't exist, unless, of course, it's carnal academia's latest revelation. Truth is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. The Christians who insist their Bible is the source of absolute truth are absolute morons. Have I read the Bible? Yes. Well, maybe not, but what's the difference? I'm a man of understanding. The God of the Bible doesn't fit into my plans. What did you say, doctor? I have two weeks to live. Oh, God, save me, save me. That's how it works, you know. Now you have the record.